todo el mundo. Just push play. Hello and welcome to Just Push Play, a podcast dedicated to professional learning and you. I'm your host, Tim Hamill, Curriculum Services Director at the Westmoreland Intermediate Unit. Today's episode is entitled, An Intro to Open Educational Resources. My guest is the Supervisor of Distance Learning at the Westmoreland Intermediate Unit, and someone who knows more about open education resources than anyone else I know. She is my go-to on the subject, no doubt. Uh, Please welcome Becky Henderson. Becky, nice to have you here. Thank you for having me, Tim. I'm excited to be here. So tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, your role, uh, and, uh, and then we'll get into talking a little bit about this, this OER, Open Education Resource thing. Sure. So as you said, my name is Becky Henderson. I'm the Distance Learning Supervisor for Westmoreland Intermediate Unit. I have been at the IU now for almost four years. Prior to that, I was a secondary choral teacher um, for about 10 years and then transitioned out of the classroom and worked for an ed tech company. During that time, I really learned a lot about online course development for asynchronous audiences, synchronous audiences, and was first introduced to open educational resources, actually, while I was there. Um, when I came to the IU, I was fortunate enough to be able to continue my work in open educational resources through our eAcademy program and through any professional development services that we provide to our districts. Um, so as things have been progressing over the past almost four years, I am one of two state leads in Pennsylvania for the PAIU hub on OER Commons and pushing and promoting open educational resources across the state. So this is something that I have become very deeply passionate about over the years. The more I learn about it, the more I dig into it, the more I find it to be very empowering and motivating for teachers and for students. So I think it's fair to say you, you've probably achieved open educational resource guru status here. So. <laughs> guru, queen, whatever you want to call it. That's okay. fine. <laughs> well, that's why we're talking <laughs> to you today. So let's get right into it. Let's talk a little bit about what OER or open educational resources are all about. Just give us the rundown on what what is an open educational resource. Sure. Well, the first thing to know is that you know we're recording this in 2022. However, it's been a 20-year process for people to really understand and embrace open educational resources. This coin the the term was coined for the first time in. Really, in in 2002, uh, UNESCO had a forum on open courseware. It was a global forum. And the official definition of open educational resources are teaching, learning, and research materials in any medium, digital or otherwise, that reside in the public domain or have been released under an open license that permits no-cost access, use, adaptation, and redistribution by others with no or limited restrictions. So that's kind of the big thing to understand here. When you're looking at instructional materials, what makes something open is your ability to modify it, to use it in different ways. So I just heard what I just heard you say was it's copyright free. I don't have to pay for it. It's free. (laughs) I I can do whatever I want with it. Right? No. Nice try though. Um, That's the easy way to move forward, to just say it's copyright free. I can do whatever I want. If something is purely, truly 100% open, 
then yes, it is actually copyright free and you can do whatever you want with it. You can sell it and make money off of it. But a lot of resources now do have limited restrictions on them. So you have to be careful and you really have to look at the terms of use of a resource. Um, it can be complex sometimes, but the basic idea is when someone creates a resource, they're going to let you know how you can use it. So some people are not comfortable with others taking what they've created and making money off of it. And they'll say, you can't use this for commercial purposes. Mm -hmm. But some people are completely okay with it. And they'll say, go ahead, do whatever you want. The whole purpose of open educational resources is the sharing of knowledge. And and so it sounds to me like it leaves a little bit of control to the, the person who created the resource, but also gives some latitude to the person out there, the educator who wants to use this in their classroom. Absolutely. I think back to when I was in the classroom and I was creating all of these projects for my music students. I really liked to do big projects based on musicals and we'd spend weeks digging into something and we'd try to make historical connections. And I created these really comprehensive projects and put a lot of time and effort into that. And I was happy to share them with my colleagues, but I wouldn't have been comfortable if they had taken those projects and sold them online and, and made money off of them. So right. I, as a developer, was insulated, but I also said to my colleagues, hey, take this, modify it, make it work for you. And that is the key in here. So when you consume a resource, you have the ability to make it more personalized for your students. So not only do you have the ability to use it, you can also modify and adapt and change it if the license that you've been handed with that material allows you to do that. Am I right? Absolutely. Yes. And that's one of the main benefits of open educational resources. When you purchase a textbook, whatever information in that textbook is going to stand until you purchase the next in the series or the most updated version of it. So if you're using something in social studies, for example, and the textbook was purchased five years ago, well, that was a completely different administration in the United States. There were different issues going on five years ago than they are right now. It's technically out of date, even though it's only five mm -hmm. years old. However, if you find social studies resources that are OER, you can update them and modify them and, and make it so that you're not talking about the wrong administration in the White House, but talking about the current administration. Or in math, you can update statistics if new information has come out. It's really easy to make a resource much more relevant, and you have the permission to do that. Whereas in a textbook, you kind of have to give that caveat to your students. Hey, we know this is a little out of date, but let's keep going with it. That's never fun for anyone to have to do. Right. And it sounds to me like this is also honoring the person who creates the resource. It's not just the, you know, you get to use these resources for free or that they are, you know, something you can modify and adapt. It also, most of the time, you have to credit the person who, who originally created the, the resource, right? Yes, absolutely. You can have a license on there that requires a byline. So anytime you go through and make a modification to someone's resource, you give credit to the original author. So everyone knows you took someone's work and you're building upon it, but that person still gets credit. That becomes really critical when you're trying to track down the original source mm -hmm. of information. So if you have students wanting to go back through different resources for research purposes, then they can get to where the root of the, the information originated. Right. And so it sounds to me like you have 
the best of both worlds here. You, you're unlike uh, traditional senses where it's a copyrighted uh, component. You really aren't free to use that unless you make a contact to the publisher and get their permission and have it in writing. And it's a it's really a hassle. I, I you know I I think a lot of people who've ever tried to go that route to to use a resource know there, there's a pretty intense process to to some of that where this gives you that uh, open door to to say, all right, it's here, it's already written, you may use this with these circumstances. So that copyright versus, what what would you call that? It's not a copyright. What What is the license that goes with uh, the open resource? They're called Creative Commons licenses. Hmm. And Creative Commons is an organization that really has stepped up to help people understand the terms of use that they that you start to see as a consumer when you purchase something. So when we're talking about any sort of educational resource, it could be anything from a lesson plan to a worksheet to an image, an infographic, audio clips, video clips. They all have terms of use saying what you can and can't do and how you can and can't share those resources, whether you're allowed to print them out, whether you're allowed to give the file to someone else. It's all in the terms of use. The Creative Commons license helps to very quickly make sense of all of that language. And it's usually an image that's written or placed right at the bottom of a file that says, this Creative Commons license will allow you to give credit to the original author. You can modify it, but you can't sell it. Right. So what I'm hearing you say here is this is really a, a kind of a game changer in terms of the way we typically access our content, our curriculum, the pieces that we use to, to in the classroom to instruct, um, all of those resources that we, we are traditionally using are copyrighted materials for the most part, or materials that we as teachers created ourselves. And what I'm hearing you say now is there's a, a whole new avenue of resources that are out there and being produced that are that are available. And that's that's sort of changing the landscape here, right? Absolutely. And what we're seeing is that people are starting to really look at educators, not just as instructional experts, but as content experts as well. And if you go back and you think about your time in the classroom when you were teaching, you really did become an expert in your specific content area. You were the one that people would go to in your building if they had a question about what you taught. So it makes sense that when you're creating resources, not only are you thinking about the content and your understanding of it, but you're pairing that with your instructional expertise for your specific student population and saying, here's how I can present this content, this information to students in a way that makes sense for them, which is something that unfortunately can be lacking when you purchase published materials, textbook, online, it doesn't matter. A lot of the time, the experts that they hire to help develop those materials do not have the combination of content and instructional expertise. Hmm. So obviously, I, I, I'm pretty sure I know where to get textbook resources and all of these other traditional resources, but where do I go to find open educational resources? The very first number one place that anyone is going to want to go to find OER is a website called oercommons.org. And it's very much my first recommendation for anyone at any time. OER Commons was created as a global repository 
for Open Educational Resources by the Institute for the Study of Knowledge Management in Education, or ISKME, I-S-K-M-E. They started building this commons because they realized that not only did we need this online library to be able to access all of these resources, but we also needed a place where everyone felt confident in understanding that they truly were going to be able to find OER. So ISKME has a team of educational experts on the back end of the system that anytime a resource is submitted to the commons, they review it to make sure that the licensing information is correct so that they can be very transparent about how users can use resources. So that brings up a really good question. Who, who's allowed to put resources on this site? Anybody that has an account. And the accounts are free. And I know that every time somebody says, hey, sign up for a free account, you immediately think, oh, I'm going to get like 300 emails every day from this company. But the reality is OER Commons will send you maybe two or three emails throughout the year. They are not into really trying to fill up your inbox with a bunch of spam or selling you on things or doing anything like that. They want you in the system using it. So they're trying to make it as easy as possible for you to not feel overwhelmed. You go online, you create the free account, and then anybody with an account can go in and access all of the resources, create resources from scratch, or upload resources that they already have that they've created. They even have the ability to let you connect it to OneDrive or to your Google Drive so you don't have to recreate a resource. So I want to go back to something you said earlier about the way OER Commons uh, vets these resources. Because right away, as soon as you said, oh, anybody can go in and create an account, my first thought is, okay, well, anybody can go in and create an account. This could be anybody, (laughs) anywhere, throwing things in here. How does this not become another Wikipedia where everybody and their brother can jump in there and just throw in whatever information? How is this all truly vetted out? So that team that is on the back end checking for copyright, they're also looking at the resource to make sure that it truly is what it says it is. So if you create an elementary level math resource that's on fractions, they're going to look at it to see, is it an elementary level resource that is talking about fractions and does this make sense? And do we have to go through and do we have any copyright concerns? Do we have any content concerns? Generally speaking, though, the content is evaluated through the community, through the users of OER Commons, because there's always a little bit of subjectivity to a resource when it comes to evaluation. And that's because every single classroom is so vastly different. What works for one group of students may not work quite as well for another group of students. So they're going to look to make sure that the content is factual, but the usability side of that really comes from the evaluation of people that are using it across so the world. So there is a way for people who are using those resources in OER Commons to comment or uh, say something about them from even as as a user, not just as an evaluator in OER Commons, but just a regular everyday user might add comments that are helpful in understanding the, the relevance of a particular resource, right? Yes, absolutely. Okay. And because this is a global repository, not only can users give their feedback on a resource, they can also align it to standards that are relevant to them. So in Pennsylvania, we actually paid through PAIU, through our large statewide organization, we paid to have all of the Pennsylvania core and academic standards added into OER Commons. So users in Pennsylvania can go in, find a resource and say, hey, this actually aligns to this specific standard. 
and they can match it up right there with about three clicks. Wow. Okay. So someone from Maryland can do the same thing with the exact same standard. Now it's aligned to both sets hmm. of standards. It doesn't overwrite anything. So we're in Pennsylvania. We have the luxury of being able to to look at this system and say, you know, these resources align with these standards, which helps us choose the right resource here. Right. I mean, it gives us a better uh, picture of what we're looking for. Absolutely. And the key to that is the community, all of the users Mm. in there going through saying, hey, this resource is wonderful. Here's my feedback on it. And here's the alignment that I'm seeing in place. All right. So I'm going to throw a question to you that I I think some of our listeners here will probably be thinking this. And and that would be, all right, I have access to my teachers pay teachers, (laughs) right? And I I get resources that I need there because I I like what's there. Um. First of all, I know I have to pay for that, so I know that's a difference. Right. But, but why should I? Why should I move away from that type of access to resources to open education resources instead? Well, there are a couple reasons. The first reason that I always give to everybody is when you're looking at a website that is going to charge you for high quality educational materials, you should also look to see if there are any legal issues surrounding that website. And unfortunately, Teachers Pay Teachers has had a history of having some legal issues due to the fact that some of the teachers that have been putting information to sell on the website have been violating copyright law. So you need to be very careful because what's happening is that people are, and and most likely doing this unintentionally, but they are representing information that they feel is their own, but it's not theirs. Mm. It's someone else's. Um, You know, the other reason is from what I understand with Teachers Pay Teachers, you have to purchase a resource before you can see the entire thing. Mm. That always concerns me. I wouldn't go into a car dealership and pay for a car and only get to see the front bumper. I would want to see the entire car. I would want to test it out. I would (laughs) want to really use it. A lot of companies do give teachers demos to try materials before they purchase an account. A lot of vendors do that. But on Teachers Pay Teachers, it's all or nothing. You kind of get a glimpse to to kind of entice you to purchase. So, yeah. Yes. And it's very possible that the description of that resource isn't actually what you end up buying. So it's Mm -hmm. just, your money and your time are very valuable. You should proceed with caution if you're not able to see an entire resource and test it out to determine if you want to purchase it or not. Okay. All right. That, that's great to know that the difference between those, those things, because I, I think it's a confusing landscape out there. There's a lot out there to, to pick from and choose and, and we're throwing one more thing into the mix with open educational resources and understanding and knowing what it is we're, we're dealing with here in, in, have a true sense of where these things are coming from is, is very important. And I think uh, all of us as educators need to make wise decisions when we choose the materials that we're using in our classroom. And, and it's, uh, it's not always a simple choice. Um, so going back to OER Commons, I think you said earlier that anybody can go in and create an account and uh, choose resources. But is there a, a how does the curation process work? In other words, like, do do you have a special spot in OER Commons where you keep track of the things that you collect, or how does that work? So from the individual user level, as soon as you create your account, you automatically are given a folder system, and you can save any resources that you personally want. However, 
there are also what are called hubs and groups within the system. And Pennsylvania is one of the leaders in using OER Commons hubs and groups in the country. So if you're a user, you want to look for the PAIU hub. This is the Pennsylvania Association of Intermediate Units, and we have a gigantic hub that has almost every single district, all of our IUs, there's a ton of charter schools and non-public schools all underneath the umbrella of this hub. And when you go into the hub, you can actually see what the trending searches are in Pennsylvania for educators. So you can see what the hot button issues are. Hmm. One of those hot button issues right now um, are standard uh, resources aligned to NGSS standards. Okay. So with all the new science uh, coming at us, the new uh, science standards, there's going to be a lot of curriculum work in that area, obviously. Exactly. So people are already starting to look for resources that are aligned to the NGSS standards, knowing that they're probably going to be very closely aligned to what Pennsylvania Mm. comes up with. Gotcha. Um, And I mentioned that all of the intermediate units have groups. A group is a smaller collection underneath the larger umbrella of the hub. Westmoreland IU has a very active group. In fact, we have over 120 members in our group right now as of today, and they are constantly adding resources to that group as well. Within your group, you can have discussions, you can share resources out. There's a lot of work that happens in those groups to make sure that everyone is sharing resources and and providing feedback and collaborating. So that kind of helps the best of the best come to the top, in in my opinion. If the way you're describing it, it's this network of users who are here in Pennsylvania using resources and making those resources, kind of labeling them as more relevant to us, which makes the whole system work better for us, right? Um, we have better access to the materials that mean something to us. That's pretty powerful, that whole network uh, usage element of of OER Commons. Absolutely. And it's not just for individual teachers, too. We see a lot of work groups across the state using the system. A, A great example of that is the PA STEM Toolkit. When we first created that, it immediately was put into OER Commons so that everyone could have access to all of those STEM resources. And that group is very active, constantly collaborating, going through, updating resources, adding new ones, putting additional information and evaluation in on the resources as they go through and use them. And you're going to start to see more work groups throughout the years pop up under the PAIU hub as well so that teachers can easily say, oh, I need something STEM, I can go here. Oh, it's time to think about um, my civics curriculum and what I can do there. I'm going to go into this work group. PAPBS has even created a work group with us now. The public broadcasting system. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, so I think this is such an important conversation, and I, I really feel like you and I need to continue this conversation in future episodes to to dig a little deeper because there's a lot to to uncover here. And I, I where I see this really making a big impact, especially right now, is the you know in all the the need for additional resources to help students move forward. And you know we we know right now we have a big job to do in front of us in in getting students caught up to where they need to be and, and moving them uh, through all the the, uh, the uh, unfinished learning that uh, still has to take place. Uh, it's a big task, and it takes new resources to do that. And having access to all of these new resources through, through OER Commons could be a very helpful uh, approach. Uh, do you agree? 
Absolutely. Yes. And anything that we can do to support our educators with additional resources that can be personalized to students so that they can connect and understand on a deeper level is a good thing. Yeah. Well, Becky, I want to thank you for taking some time out to to give us an intro to OER. Uh, Definitely more episodes in our future here. So um, those of you out there listening, I uh, hope you'll be able to tune in for those as we continue to produce these episodes. Becky, thank you so much for uh, taking time out with us today. Oh, thank you, Tim. I appreciate it. And thank you to our listeners. We really appreciate you taking the time out to listen. And uh, we hope that you found the experience informative and helpful in your work as an educator. Uh, We ask that you check us out at uh, play.wiu7.org or email your questions or comments to play at wiu7.org. And uh, we hope that you get in the game at Play Westmoreland. Thanks for listening. Just Push Play is produced by the Curriculum Services Division of the Westmoreland Intermediate Unit. For more information on the Play Westmoreland Initiative, please visit us at play.wiu7.org.